0: Good morning. How are we? All right, good. Um, This morning we are finishing up our series, Joseph's Story. This is Joseph's Story Part 3. Now back in Part 1 of this series, I told you that this was going to be a reconstruction of a series of teachings that I did this past summer at a camp that our church sponsors for kids in foster care. It's called Teen Reach Adventure Camp, or TRAC, T-R-A-C for short. In that sermon, meaning the one from two weeks ago, um, I gave you three reasons as to why I'm doing this. And I wanted to remind you of one of those reasons today. Um, I told you back two weeks ago that following the track curriculum meant that I needed to cover a huge Bible story in just three lessons, and therefore it would have to be a flyover summary that did not cover every verse. Um, That is not my normal tendency, and I think. Even, even, though that, even though it's not my normal tendency, I still think that the result was good. And so um, the result was three lessons that are focused on how God uses bad circumstances for good, surveying a 13-chapter section of the book of Genesis. And today's sermon is actually the most ambitious of the three, because today we begin in Genesis 41, and we end in Genesis 50. Whoa! Are we insane? I don't know. Let's see. So Genesis 41 to Genesis 50. Let me go ahead and before I start in Genesis 41, let me review what we've covered so far. For those of you who have been here, hopefully this will be a review. If you weren't here, this is a very quick catch up. Joseph is in the book of Genesis, right? He's one of the people that's talked about in the book of Genesis. He was loved by his father. He had God-given dreams of being in power. He was hated by his brothers. He was sold into slavery, he was falsely accused into prison. And then by God's power, he interprets dreams into the vice presidency of Egypt. Okay, is that what happened? Yeah, that's a pretty quick summary right there. That's what we've covered so far. So today we pick up where we left off. This is Genesis 41, starting in verse 53. And it says this, Then the seven years of, an ab- of abundance in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said, There was famine in every country, but throughout the land of Egypt, there was food. So what you can see is about, uh, well, over seven years have passed since the events of last week's sermon, okay? If you remember last week's passages, we covered the time period from when Joseph was about 17 years old until he was about, anybody remember? Yeah, 30 years old. So today we have now skipped ahead another seven years, and in fact, maybe a little more than seven years because we are now into the second set of seven years. So Joseph is now at least... Uh, 37 years old, because seven years have passed. And based on a comment that Joseph makes in Genesis 45, 6, he might be as old as 39 at this point, because at that, in that chapter, I'm not going to read it, but in that chapter when he's talking to his brothers, he mentions that the seven years of abundance are done. They've now moved into the years of famine. They're two years into the years of famine and have five more to go. So he's probably about 39 years old at this point. Okay, Genesis chapter 42, verse 1 says this. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you keep looking at each other? Listen, he went on, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we will live and not die. Which, living is the alternative to dying, so he did a good job there. Okay, so, who's Jacob? Okay, anybody remember from the previous sermons, who's Jacob? Yeah, that's Joseph's father. Okay, so Joseph's dad is where he's back where he lived like this this is a movie like the camera has gone back to where joseph grew up and there his dad is and his dad of course does not know he's still alive does not know what's going on in in egypt other than the fact that there's grain in egypt he thinks his son is dead um and so he is in the midst of a famine and so they're starting to get hungry and he goes and he starts speaking to his sons now jacob's sons would be what to joseph his brothers. Very good. So everybody's paying attention. This is wonderful. So Jacob has sons. These would be Joseph's older brothers, the people who are the reason he's in Egypt. They sold him as a slave. They're the reason he, they are the reason he's in Egypt now. Joseph's dad hears that there is grain in Egypt when there's not grain anywhere else. Now here's the question. Why is there grain in Egypt but not anywhere else? Okay. Someone that was here last week, bless Joseph, my heart. Joseph's dream. Yes, yes. So so Joseph interpreted these dreams. He had inside information from God that there was going to be famine or there was going to be abundance followed by famine. And so Joseph said, we're going to save up to get through the years of famine. That's the reason why there's grain in Egypt and not anywhere else. So Jacob is affected by what Joseph is doing in Egypt, even though he doesn't know it, right? So he says, I've heard there's grain in Egypt. That's why there's grain in Egypt. So he says to his sons, go get some. And they say, okay. And they do. So skipping on to verse 6. Joseph was in charge of the country, meaning the country of Egypt. He sold grain to all its people. His brothers came and and bowed down before him with their faces to the ground. What is the significance of the bowing? Yeah, because that's what happened in his dreams. Joseph's dreams are now coming true. And he's sitting there and he sees his his brothers bowing before him. Verse 7, when Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan to buy food, they replied. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Well, that's interesting. How in the world did Joseph recognize his brothers, but they didn't recognize him? Okay. I think that there, um, I, I mean, I, the story actually does not say why that's the case, but I have some theories. I'm gonna share them with you. It could be one of these, could be two of these, could be any mixture of these three things, but these are three theories that I have about it. Um, first theory is this: Joseph maybe changed in his appearance more than the brothers did over this time period. The time period is about 22 years. Joseph was how old when they sold him? 17. He's now 39. So the changes that happen in someone's you know body and whatever body hair and all that stuff from 17 to 39 is is quite a bit. Now, the brothers, of course, went through the same transition, but they were older brothers. So I'm thinking they're probably in their early 20s when this story began, and they're now probably in their mid-40s. It could be that there was less change in their life than there was in his. That's possible. Um, But another thing is, there are cultural changes that have happened in the meantime for one of them, but probably not for the other group, okay? That is Joseph's brothers, over the past 22 years, have been doing what? As best as we can tell from the story, they've been herding sheep. It's the same thing they were doing 20 years ago, 22 years ago, and they're still doing it now. And so I'm guessing, culturally, not much had changed for the brothers. Over the course of those 22 years, I'm sure their appearance changed some. There was probably extra weight or extra gray hairs or whatever. But they're speaking the same language they used to speak. They got the same names they used to have. They're probably wearing the same clothes that they wore 22 years ago, if not the exact same clothes, like... Clothes that are like the clothes they wore 22 years ago, right? They're talking the same and their hairstyles, probably the same as it was. Like culture didn't move very fast back then if you stayed in the same one. I know in our culture, it's a little different than that. Um, you know, we can look at pictures of like people in the 50s and then look at pictures of people in the 70s and we can, you can almost tell like what decade it was by the people's hairstyles and their clothes and stuff. That wasn't, there's no way that was true over 3,000 years ago. Culture moved so slow back then, right? There were no, there were no fashion magazines. There's no, there's, no, there's no internet, there's no TV, there's no radio, there's nothing. There's no, they're not checking out sneakers on Instagram and trying to decide what they're gonna wear this year as opposed to last year. These 10 brothers probably look almost the same as they did 22 years before. But that's probably not true of Joseph. Something remarkable has happened to him. He's moved to a whole other country. He's been living in a whole nother culture. He speaks a different language now, probably has a different haircut now, has a different appearance now, has different clothes now, certainly has different clothes now. He's the ruler of a country, has fancy clothes on now, right? And, and has a different name. I, was, this is, I think this is the first time I noticed it, this read-through. But the brothers show up, and I'm assuming they use their names. They showed up and said, hi, I'm Judah, this is my brother Simeon, this is my brother Levi, we've come here for food, right? So if you're Joseph and you hear 10 brothers who have the names of your 10 brothers, it wouldn't be hard to figure out who they are. But he's not going by Joseph at this point of the story. I didn't read you all. I told you we couldn't read every single verse in this passage. But one of the passages that I skipped over last week, when, when Joseph joined Pharaoh's administration, they changed his name to an Egyptian name. It says that. Like Pharaoh gave him the name um, Zaphnath Paniah. So this is what I'm thinking is happening. The brothers show up and it's like, hey, this is my brother Simeon, this is my brother Levi, this is my brother Reuben, and we need food, Right? And they don't say, go to Joseph's house, right? They say, go to Zaphpaniah's house, right? And so then they show up, and there's this guy who's dressed nothing like their brother, who doesn't look anything like their brother last look. And so he recognizes them. One more thing I wanted to throw out there, and this is just a a theory of mine. It seems to me that people are easier to recognize in groups than as individuals. Have you noticed that? Yeah, you know. Okay, so... So she, maybe she doesn't want to explain it to you, but I'll explain it to you. Um, when I, Sometimes I go to Walgreens and I'll see some lady and I'll be like, she kind of looks familiar to me. I can't tell if I know her or not. Does she go to my church? I'm not sure. And then her husband will walk up or her kid will walk up or her sister will walk up and I'll be like, oh, that's so-and-so's sister. That's so-and-so's mom. That's so-and-so's, um, you know, wife. And so sometimes you can more easily remember people when they're with other people. And so in this case, it seems obvious to me, there's 10 Jewish guys that show up at the same time, right? Joseph only has to recognize one of them to recognize all of them, but the reverse is not true. He looks completely different to them. So they don't know. Now I point all this out because they're not recognizing of him. Their non-recognition of him is a significant part of the story. So verse nine, Joseph remembered his dreams about them. This has got to be so crazy. He's 39 years old. He's in charge of Egypt. He sees his brothers, I guess he sees his brothers bowing down, and he goes, Oh my gosh, the stuff I dreamed about when I was 17 years old is coming true right now. He remembered his dreams about them and he said to them, You are spies. You have come to see the weakness of the land. No, my lord. Your servants have come to buy food, they said. We are all sons of one man, we are honest. Your servants are not spies. No, he said to them, you have come to see the weakness of the land. But they replied, we, your servants, were 12 brothers and the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father and one is no longer living. Now this is interesting. I'm thinking Joseph probably realizes that the, the one that is no longer living is a reference to him, right? He's probably going like, oh, so that's what you're telling people now, right? That I'm dead, Right? One of them is no longer, I'm, I'm thinking he must realize that that's a reference to him. And then the reference to the youngest one that's back home would be a reference to his younger brother, Benjamin. Now, I've looked into this, and it's difficult to tell, so I, I, I'm, I don't know for sure. I can't tell if Benjamin was born before or after Joseph was sold into slavery, okay? There's arguments on both sides. There's bunches of websites if you really want to go down like a two-hour, maybe waste of your life, I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> But anyway, so I, I'm just going to say I don't know for sure. Um, I think probably Benjamin was born before he was sold into slavery, but I can't tell for sure. So one of two things is happening here. Either when they say um, the youngest is now with our father, either he is going, what? I have a little brother. There was another son that was born after me. There's a little brother I haven't met. Or or he's saying in his mind, oh, they're talking about Benjamin, my little brother Benjamin, who I have not seen since he was a little kid. He must be a young adult now, but I haven't seen him since he was a little kid. I think it's probably that one, but I don't know for sure. So he accuses them of being spies. And, and, and keep in mind, at this point, he's got all the power. I think if he really wanted to take revenge, he could have just killed them all right then. But he does not do that. But he also doesn't go like, hey, let's let bygones be bygones. He does something interesting first. And so he throws them in prison And because you're, you're spies, you go in prison. So they're in prison. Then he pulls them out of the prison and he goes, okay, I got an idea. Maybe I can let you prove to me that you're not spies. Okay, so then this is what he does. So this is verse 19. He pulls them out of the prison after they've spent, I think, three nights there. And he says to them, if you are honest, let one of you be confined to the guardhouse while the rest of you go and take grain to relieve the hunger of your households right? Looks like he is concerned about them surviving. He cares about them. Let them go relieve the hunger of your households. Bring your youngest brother to me so that your words can be confirmed. Then you won't die. And they consented to this, right? So he wants them to go and bring Benjamin, right? But so he says, well, you're spies. And they're like, no, 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 we're 12 brothers, blah, blah, blah. They told the whole story. And he says, well, why don't you just prove that the story is true? Go get the little brother, bring him here. Oh, well, we can't. No, go do it. I mean, or, I mean you could all go back to the, no, no, we don't want to go back to the prison. So, okay, well then go, go feed your families. When you say you've got families you've got to feed, go feed them. Go get that little brother, bring him here. But in order to guarantee that they would come back, he imprisoned one of the brothers. Okay, so what happens next, I'll just kind of summarize the next 17 verses. They go home to get their youngest brother, Benjamin, in order to prove that their story is true. Joseph chooses Simeon, I don't know why, but he chooses Simeon, and that's the one that he keeps in prison, or imprisoned in the guardhouse. I don't know how good or bad he was treated, but he's imprisoned there, and the purpose of it was so that they would come back. I think he knew if he said, hey, why don't you go get your little brother and come back here and prove to me that you're not spies, that they would have said oh, sure, sure, we'll bring him next time. And they would have just gone home and he would have never saw them again. So he holds one of the brothers in there and sends all the rest back and says, come back with Benjamin and then you can get Simeon and I'll know that you're not spies. So they do that. They go home and they start talking to their dad and they say, dad, we need to bring Benjamin next time. And he's like, what? No, I don't want Benjamin to go. Why, why, why do you need to bring Benjamin? Well, because, Sim, I mean, they, they probably, I don't know how they phrased it, but, but I mean, actually, I probably do. It probably says exactly what they said here. <laughs> But I'm just gonna put it in my own words. The gist is they go home and they have to say, hey, we got good news and bad news, dad. The good news is we got grain so we can survive. And the bad news is you notice one of us is missing, okay? (laughs) Simeon's imprisoned in Egypt somewhere. And so they explain the whole story. They accuse us of being spies. Um, and so we got to bring Benjamin to prove that we're not spies. Jacob said, like, why did you even tell them there is a Benjamin? You know, well, they were asking us questions, and we were nervous. And so anyway, so we, we got to bring Benjamin in order to get Simeon out of prison. Now, here's what's weird. Jacob hears this whole story and says, all right, no. Okay? Look at Genesis 42, verse 38. But Jacob answered, my son will not go down with you. For his brother is dead, and he alone is left. Okay? Which if you're the other brothers, you're like, you know, hey, we're all here. No, for his brother is dead and he alone is left. If anything happens to him on your journey, you will bring my gray hairs down to Sheol in sorrow. Now, Sheol's the realm of the dead in Hebrew. We've talked about that before here, right? So he's saying, I will die of sadness if you take Benjamin and go off on some trip and he does not come back. Last time I had a son who I loved a whole lot and he went out with you guys. He did not come back. I'm not letting that happen again. And what you can tell by the way he talks here, and this is you'll find this funny, um, he must love Benjamin more than Simeon, right? I mean, think about it. They've explained the whole story. Like, Simeon's gonna stay in prison until we bring Benjamin. The dad hears that and says, yeah, no Benjamin, okay? He's <laughs> deciding so it's better for Simeon to stay in jail for the rest of his life than for Benjamin to possibly be harmed. So the answer is No. So what I think is happening here, and you can probably tell this on your own, Benjamin has become the new Joseph, right? He's the new youngest son. The dad is going to make sure nothing bad happens to you like last time. So chapter 43, verse 1. Now, the famine in the land was severe. When they had used up the grain that they had brought back from Egypt, this must have been a while, so they ate all the food, their father said to them, go back and buy us some food. But Judah said to him, The man specifically warned us. Keep in mind, the man here is their brother Joseph, but they don't know it. The man specifically warned us, you will not see me again unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy food for you. But if you will not send him, we will not go. For the man said to us, you will not see me again unless your brother is with you. So they have a whole conversation about it. And eventually, I guess dad, Jacob, gets hungry enough that he says, okay, fine, take him, but you guys better make sure that he's safe. And Judah says, I promise, I promise, I'll do whatever I can. I will bring him back home safe. So they convinced their dad to bring Benjamin to Egypt and they show up at Joseph's place in verse 26 of that chapter. So I'll skip to there. Verse 26, when Joseph came home, they brought him the gift that they carried into the house. That's the brothers, I believe. And they bowed to the ground before him. He asked if they were well. And he said, how is your elderly father that you told me about? Is he still alive? Now he's asking about his own dad, but they don't know that. How's your dad? They answered, your servant, our father as well. He is still alive. And they bowed down to honor him. And when he looked up and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, he asked, is this your youngest brother that you told me about? And then he said, may God be gracious to you, my son. Joseph hurried out because he was overcome with emotion for his brothers, and he was about to weep. He went into an inner room to weep. Joseph's hearing about his dad. He's seeing his little brother grown up for the very first time in his life. He is very emotional, and he goes and cries it out in another room and then gains his composure and comes back in. And then he sends them off on their way. He gives them the grain that they came there to purchase and they fill their sacks up with grain and he sends them back home. I assume, I don't think the story specifically says, but I assume Simeon got out of prison and they send them all home. But then one last thing happens. The Story takes a really interesting turn. Uh, Genesis chapter 44, verse two. This is Joseph speaking. He's speaking to his steward, okay? One of his servants. And this is what he says. He says, put my cup, the silver one at the top of the youngest one's bag along with his grain money. So he did as Joseph told him. So they're they're filling up the bags for the guys to take the next day to go back home, filling up the bags with food. And he says, I want you to take my real fancy silver cup um, and I want you to put it in Benjamin's bag and then let them go with it. And so the servant says, okay, and does it. Verse three, at morning light, the men were sent off with their donkeys. This would be the brothers. They had not gone very far from the city when Joseph said to his steward, get up, pursue the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Isn't this the cup that my master drinks from and uses for divination? What you have done is wrong. When he overtook them, he said these words to them, and they said to him, Why does my Lord say these things? Your servants could not possibly do such a thing. Okay. So, he says put the cup in there. He says let them go. And then he sends them off and says, Now go accuse them of stealing the cup. Right? What is going on here? Right. Well, let, let me keep reading. So they say to the guy who just accused him of stealing, verse nine, if any of us is found to have it, the silver cup, he must die. We also will become my Lord's slaves. They are so sure they didn't steal it. They said, why are you accusing us of stealing? We didn't steal it. We would never steal from you. And the reason why they said that is because they wouldn't steal. They really really wouldn't have stolen from him. Like they didn't. So they say, no, this this is not true. So they said, "Search, search our stuff, right? And if you find it in one of our bags, then that person should die. Now, they said that about who? The one that they had just told their dad, we promise we'll bring him home alive. We promise we'll bring him home alive. And then the rest of us will be your slaves. Now, look what the steward says. This is all set up. Verse 10, the steward replied, what you have said is right, but only the one who is found to have it will be my slave, and the rest of you will be blameless. Okay. So he says, well, first of all, nobody needs to die over this. It's just whoever's bag we find it in, that person will be uh, Joseph's slave, although he wouldn't use the name Joseph, right? Zaphim, that P- Pania. Um, he, So he'll be the slave. And then the rest of you who didn't steal it, you can just go home free, right? That seems more fair. Let's do that. Now, I, the brothers are so sure they didn't take it. that they're, they're like, okay, fine, fine, whatever. But we know none of us did it. So look what happens. Verse 11. So each one quickly lowered his sack to the ground and opened it. The steward searched, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest. You can imagine how dramatic this must have been, right? Well, it's not, here, and it's not in 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 here, and they finally get to Benjamin's, and there it is. Ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. What are the brothers thinking at this point? Because they just said, kill the guy whose, whose bag you find it in. And then he said, well, no, no, he'll just be our slave. And they're like, okay, fine, he'll be your slave for life, whoever it is. It's in Benjamin's sack. It's the one that they, they said, dad, we promise we'll bring him home safe. How upset must they have been? First of all, you can tell upset. Look at the next verse. Then they tore their clothes, and each one loaded his donkey and returned to the city. They were so upset. Now, I'm thinking they probably thought Benjamin stole the cup. I'm thinking. I'm sure Benjamin said, I didn't do it. I've never seen this before. But goodness, everybody that steals stuff says that, right? So they're probably going, Benjamin, why did you steal it? He goes, I didn't steal it. I didn't do it. So, So now they've got to... Return to the city for their trial. Like, what happens? We've been caught shoplifting. We've been caught stealing. Now what do we do? So they go back. So let's pause the story real quick. What is going on here? What a big, this is just unraveling. Why in the world is Joseph not just revealing who he is? Why is he going through all this? You know, if whether, he, whether, he would, whether he's mad at them or whether he's not mad at them, there is a much more straightforward way to handle this, right? If, if he was not mad at them and wanted to forgive them, when they first showed up and he recognized them, he could have said, hey, I'm your brother Joseph, and you know, you guys did not treat me well when we were kids, but I'm going to be nice to you anyway. He could have done that and just revealed who he was. Or if he's angry at them and goes, well, now I've got an opportunity to hurt them, then he could have said, he could have done it, he could have said, you're spies, and he could have killed them all. Or he could have said, hey, guess who I am, your brother Joseph. And even if he didn't want to kill them, he could have just been like, you should have treated me better when we were younger, and so now no grain for you. Go home, starve to death. He could have done that, but instead he does this whole big complex thing. What is going on here? I think, especially at this point, he's setting up to where Benjamin looks like the thief. Benjamin's the one of them that didn't do anything to him, right? What's he doing? I think that Joseph was testing them. Look at verse 16 and 17 of this chapter. So this is, now they've come back and Judah is now talking on behalf of the brothers. He says, what can we say to my Lord? He's talking to Joseph. How can we plead? how can we justify ourselves? God has exposed your servant's iniquity. Now, Judah hadn't stolen it. What's he talking about there? I don't know for sure, but, but there's other passages that I haven't read to you in this story that, where they say stuff like this. And so I think it's fair to assume that what I'm about to say is correct. I think he's referring to what they did to Joseph all those years ago. He's saying God has exposed us as the evil people we are, and he's finally punishing us. He is finally punishing us for what we did a long time ago. Because they said stuff like that throughout the story that I haven't read to you yet. I think that's probably what's in his mind. God has exposed your servant's iniquity. We are now my Lord's slaves, both we and the one in whose possession the cup was found. Now look at verse 17. This is why I say it's a test. Then Joseph said, I swear that I will not do this. Meaning what? Meaning I will not imprison all of you. I will, not, I will not make all of you my slaves. Now think about it. They sold him into slavery. This would be the perfect opportunity for him to say, that's a good idea. You will all be my slaves. But he looks at all of the ones who, who wronged him and says, no, no, I wouldn't do that to you. Just to the little one that stole it, right? The one who hasn't done anything to him. Joseph said, I swear that I will not do this. The man in whose possession the cup was found will be my slave. The rest of you can go in peace to your father. Do you see it? He wants to see if his brothers are going to treat Benjamin the way they treated him. That's the test. He sets up this situation, it's a complex situation, but he sets it up so that he can secretly ask them, are you going to do to Benjamin what you did to me? Are you the same people from 22 years ago? Because I'm gonna set it up so that that can happen. He can be a slave here in Egypt and you all can walk home free and tell dad whatever story you want. Are you gonna do it all over again? What do they do this time? Look at chapter 44, verse 30. This is right in the middle of a big long speech. I'm just going to read you the tail end of it. This is Judah speaking to Joseph, and he says, So if I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, that's Benjamin, his life is wrapped up with the boy's life. When he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. Then your servants will have brought the gray hairs of your servant, our father, down to Sheol in sorrow. Your servant, he's talking about himself there, became accountable to my father for the boy, saying, if I do not return him to you, I will always bear the guilt for sinning against you, my father. Now, please, let your servant, he's referring to himself here, let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. Let him go back with his brothers, for how can I go back to my father without the boy? I could not bear to see the grief that would overwhelm my father. Judah looks at him and he says, I can't do this. You don't understand. This boy is wrapped up with the father's life. He's, he's, he's our dad's favorite. And he told us, like, I, I, to- I swore to him I'd bring him home safe. If I come home without him, he will die of misery. I cannot do that to him. And I bet you in his head he's thinking, I cannot do that to him again. I already broke his heart once. We already came home without the favorite once. We've already done this before. I will not sin against dad again like that. I'll be your slave for my whole life, but that boy's got to go home to dad. I will not do that to my dad again. Judah passes the test and Joseph reveals himself. Chapter 45, verse one, this is the next verse. Joseph could no longer keep his composure in front of all of his attendants. So he called out, send everyone away from me. No one was with him when he revealed his identity to his brothers, but he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and also Pharaoh's household heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But they could not answer him because they were terrified in his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please, please come near me. And they came near. I am Joseph, your brother. He said, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, don't be worried or angry with yourselves. Goodness gracious, who'd have said that? <laughs> and now he says, Don't be worried or angry with yourselves for selling me here because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. So, this was all in God's plan. God sent me here so that all of us would not starve today. So, he reveals himself to his brothers, he is kind to his brothers. There's a lot that happens over the next several chapters. I'm gonna just sort of summarize the next, I don't remember what it is, four or five chapters. Um, He basically says to them, "Go, go get dad, go get the whole family, come here. Like you guys are out there almost starving to death. I'm a bigwig here with like plenty of everything. Go get the family and bring them all here and live here in my country with me. In fact, God set it up so that it would be this way, so that I could take care of you, so that we would all be able to live happily ever after. And so the rest of the family is brought to Egypt, dad, all the brothers, the dad is reunited with his son after 22 years, all the brothers, their wives, their children, their possessions, and Joseph is there, and he's a big shot there in Egypt, and he has all of his riches and all of his influence in order to take care of all of his family. And for the most part, they all live happily ever after there in Egypt. There's just one last part of the story that I need to tell you about, and it's in Genesis chapter 50. Eventually Jacob dies, and he dies in Egypt and he dies not because his heart is broken, okay? Benjamin lives, Joseph lives, he just dies because he's old. And after he dies, the 10 sons worry about what's going to happen next. This is Genesis 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said to one another, if Joseph is holding a grudge against us, he will certainly repay us for all the suffering we caused him. Now, this is interesting. At this point, Jacob died. They've mourned for him. I believe they all traveled back to their homeland and and buried him and then came back to Egypt. And so I don't know exactly when this this quote happens, but at some point after the dad died, the brothers get together and they say, all right, now I'm worried. And so apparently what they thought, they must've been thinking he has been nice to us. He has been too nice to us for too long, considering how we treated him. It must be that he's waiting for dad to die and then comes the pain. Right? It's, of, co- of course he's being nice to us. He's not going to slaughter all of us right in front of dad. But now the dad's gone. Who knows what he has planned for us? So they're, they're worried. So verse 16. So they sent this message to Joseph. I guess it was a letter or a messenger. Before he died, your father gave a command. Say this to Joseph. Please forgive your brothers' transgressions and their sin, the suffering they caused you. That sounds like a lie, doesn't it? The story doesn't say whether it's a lie or not, but I think it's a lie, okay? They send a message that says, hey, Joseph, we just want to let you know, Dad, like his dying wish, you weren't there, but when you weren't around, Dad said, tell Joseph to forgive all of you, right? He said that, and then he died, and we just wanted you to know that's what he said, okay? I don't know if he did or didn't. That's what they said he said the suffering they caused you. Therefore, please forgive the transgression of your servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when their message came to him. And then they showed up in person and they said, we'll be your slaves. And look at verse 19. This is his response. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Therefore, don't be afraid. I will take care of you. And your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Wow. Joseph truly forgave his brothers. I don't know if it was hard for him to do it or easy, but he did. And he trusted that God was sovereign and that all of this was just a part of his plan. And he did not get back at his brothers when he easily could have. And the forgiveness that Joseph showed here, I believe, first of all, I believe it was good for Joseph. And the reason I say that is just because I believe that's true of everybody. I believe that when we forgive people, when you forgive people, it is good for you. I believe this was good for Joseph, but it wasn't only good for Joseph. This affected the rest of history. You see, the the choosing to forgive the brothers rather than let them starve to death, or rather than killing them, or rather than whatever, means that they lived their lives and had had children, who had children, who had children, who had children, who had children, and those children were, the nation of Israel. And not only did it change history in the sense that there became a nation, I guess that wouldn't have existed otherwise if they all starved to death, but let's just go focus on one one character in particular. I wanna point out in this story that Joseph did not kill Judah. Judah was the brother that actually said, let's sell him into slavery rather than kill him, okay? Judah was one of the people that sinned against Joseph. Joseph had the ability to kill him. Joseph had the ability to imprison him. Like I said, at the very least, it seems to me that Joseph could have just sent him back home and let him starve. Joseph did not do that to Judah. And Judah lived and had kids who had kids who had kids. Now here's the thing. (laughs) Guess who Judah's great, 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 great grandson was? Anybody know? Jesus. Jesus Christ. God took what happened to Joseph and if you stretch the timeline out long enough, God took what happened to Joseph and it led to the salvation of the world. What I'm saying is, and maybe this is the surprise ending of the story of Joseph, what happened back then affects us to this day. Like maybe you've been here and this is your third week and you're thinking we're just learning a cool story from the stuff that happened 3,500 years ago, whenever it was. But this story affects us today. All of us in this room who have been saved by Jesus, we're affected by this story. Because from these people came Jesus, the savior of our lives. So here's the question. Can, can God take bad things and bring good out of them? Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. Like it's ridiculous to even ask almost after you hear this whole story. Of course. The way Joseph says it in Genesis 50, verse 20, is you planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. The way that it's said in the New Testament is this way. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. Do you remember this verse? We learned it two weeks ago. We learned it last week. We're learning it one more time. This is our theme verse. You see how this verse matches with what Joseph said when he said you intended it for evil, God intended it for good. All things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. The God of this book is the same God who rules the earth right now. And so for those of you who trust in and follow Jesus, God can and will take bad things in your life. Stuff that you're looking at and going, no good can come from this. God can take bad things in your life and use them for good, even for eternal life. Let's pray. God, you are so huge and so powerful. We say things sometimes like, well, maybe God could use this for good. Like we're sorry for when we even say stuff like that. Of course you can do whatever you want, whenever you want, with whatever you want. And we thank you that you've promised that in that whatever you want, you will look out for the good of those who love you. That you will forgive us, those of us who have sinned against you. Like in a similar way to how Joseph treated his brothers. I mean, a bigger and better forgiveness. But in a similar way, you will forgive us when we have hurt you and you will bring good into our lives. And for some of us, it might be in, in our eternal life, more so than seeing it here. But we trust you and we love you and we thank you that you can plan out so that, good, that bad things happen and good results. We thank you that you cause all things to work together for the good of those who love you. And I pray that you would help us as a church, that we would trust in you, Jesus. And so we worship you because you're trustworthy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.